So, Merry Christmas again. I want to remind you that the Annunciation or the announcing of the birth of Christ came with fear. So, Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, and he had to say to her, Hey, don't be afraid. And the angel came to speak to the shepherds and to announce Jesus to them. And they were terrified. And I guess the King James Version is they were sore afraid. And again, the angels had to say to them, don't be afraid. And you can hear those announcements, don't be afraid, and contrast it with Psalm 2, which says something a little different. It says, hey, I have put my king in Zion on my holy hill, all you kings of the earth, be afraid and tremble. So with the coming of Jesus, what is it? <laughs> Don't be afraid or be afraid. And we've been looking during this Advent season at the book of 1 Samuel and looking at Saul being installed as king and looking forward to Jesus' birth as king. And our text today has a lot to do with fear. Be afraid, don't be afraid. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to read through this text, and I want you to be listening uh, for that theme from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 through 25. It's on page 13 in your worship guide, and it's there behind me. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand and uh, let's read God's Word together. I'll read it out loud, and you can read silently, okay? 1 Samuel 12, 13 through 25. This is the prophet Samuel speaking to the people. He's given his retirement speech, and this is sort of the end of that from chapter 12. Verse 13. And now behold the king whom you have chosen. So Saul is standing there. He's saying, look, here's the king that you chose. For whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty." For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. 
But if you still do wickedly, you, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So what we're after today is this, a Christmas gift from the Lord. And that would be the gift of the right fear of the Lord that is appropriate for the beloved sons and daughters of God. The right fear of the Lord that is appropriate for the beloved sons and daughters of God. Well, to get there, one of the things that you have to own from this passage is that it's really big about the great wickedness of the people. So you, to, to have the right kind of fear, you have to start with the depth and prevalence and greatness of sin. And you see this in the text. It's been about two or three chapters, for those of you who haven't been with us, that uh, the Lord's been saying through Samuel, you guys have done a wicked thing. You guys have done a wicked thing in asking for a king to reign over you. Now, the background of that is there's a, a guy named Nahash, the Ammonite, who was attacking Israelite cities. And when he surrounded them and they said, we'll make a treaty with you, he said, well, great, but I'm going to gouge out the right eye of all the men in your city. He was a pretty ruthless guy, right? So they were afraid. They were afraid, and they didn't trust that the Lord would reign over them. The unseen Lord would protect them and reign over them. And they said, give us a king, something visible, someone visible that we can see to rule over us. And it's a quote, to fight our battles for us. So they were rejecting the Lord in this great wickedness. So now the, the Lord has installed this king. He's installed Saul. And Samuel says, look, I want you to know that the Lord has really seen and is aware of all this. So what's going to happen is that now in wheat harvest, which apparently was a dry season, there's going to be a thunderstorm. Now, that doesn't sound like much to you because we don't really have dry seasons here. But what this is like, you have to say for in South Carolina terms, it's like Samuel the prophet standing up and saying, I know it's August. In half the days, it's 100 degrees, but it's going to snow today. I mean, that's the shock value of this. And so finally, you know, there's a thunderstorm during wheat harvest, and all the people go, oh, no, our wickedness really has been great. And that's what they say. We have added in, in verse 19, we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. So, so the people are finally able to go, we really, have, we really messed up here. We have really sinned against the Lord by asking for someone visible or something visible to reign over us. So what does that look like for us as we think about that today? Well, I want to emphasize two things that might uh, reign over us. And those two things are our appetites and our aspirations. Okay? Appetites and aspirations. And so I think most of us might be in touch with our appetites these days. Um, I don't know if you managed to have these during your Christmas holiday, but we did at our house. Somebody poured a melted chocolate with a bunch of, it was a good mix, over um, dry roasted peanuts. And they come out in little clusters on wax paper. And we call them... Um, chocolate peanut clusters. I don't know what you want to call them, but they're about that big around. And uh, one of them is 
absolutely something to give thanks to the Lord for, right? <laughs> and, you know, and you have an appetite for chocolate and peanut clusters. You can put your own food in there if you don't particularly care for those. And those are good things, right? It's something to, get, to give thanks to the Lord for. I have a peanut cluster. But when you get to like eight in a row and you're sick, already sick, but you're going to eat another one anyway, you're being ruled at that time by an appetite. And the same thing's true uh, for, for some of you for wine. Now, those of you who, who know that you shouldn't use wine or alcohol, you've been enslaved to it, you have to say, yeah, that's not for me. But the Lord gave us wine to make our, our hearts glad. And six ounces of wine that he made could be a beautiful thing. And then when you get to 24, it's an ugly mess, right? Okay, yeah, I, we all understand these things. And, and to be a little more, go into a little more depth and a little more seriousness, uh, you see people, uh, maybe from the opposite sex, who are attractive and beautiful. And God made you to be able to recognize and see beauty and you could say, there's a beautiful man or woman who's made in the image of God that's somebody's son, some, somebody's daughter that I can honor and say they look beautiful. Or you can make them an object of desire in your mind. And you're, you're a God-given appetite that you could give thanks for has, has run amok at that point, right? And so we, we all struggle with appetites that can rule over us. The second thing that, that we could say about having someone or something other than the Lord rule over us would be about aspirations. And what I mean by aspirations is uh, unseen desires that, that you can't see for respect, for significance, for love, for security or safety. For, for purpose, I've got to have these things. And, and these are the kinds of, of desires that, that could make you, if you're a student, work way overboard to be at the top of your class just so that you can say that you beat everybody else out. That would rob you of having the Lord rule over you. Or maybe you're in sports. Or maybe you are like, um, and, and I may step on some toes here, uh, the, the friends I see now at the gym who are flexing and taking pictures of themselves in the mirror at the gym, that, that what rules over you is that I'm going to have a certain kind of body image, and I, I'll put in the time that I need for that uh, to the neglect maybe of other important things. And I think, you know, one of the, the prevalent things is that... Um, I'll work, and I'll work overtime, and I'll work triple time to have respect, to be able to say, you know, I'm the man or I'm the woman, or maybe it's to be driven by, by money. I'll have the money. I'll put in the overtime. And, and one of the things I think that may cripple us more than anything else is a demand for safety. The Lord can't send me there for sure, not with my family. So you just think, what, what rules over you? Now, you might be here, and, and this might seem all like, what is this guy talking about? And who wants somebody to, to, to have anything rule over them? Who wants the Lord to rule over them? Well, the only benevolent, the only kind, the only gracious, the only joyful rule that you're going to have is from the Lord. But something is going to rule over you. 
something is going to rule over you. And you might, you're going to worship something. And, and you might say, well, no, not me. I'm free. I'm a free man. I'll just make it male. I'm a free man or I'm a free woman. And I'm not going to be encumbered with all these rules and regulations. I'm going to decide on an ad hoc basis, time by time, what I'm going to do with myself. Because I'm the captain of my own ship. Well, you're really headed down a pathway of selfishness that is going to lead you to a place where you don't have relationships, you don't love anybody, and they don't love you because what if you just want to do what you want to do? It doesn't include denying yourself or being with other people. And everything's a trade-off, right? If you're going to do squats and bench presses for six hours a day, you're not going to study six hours a day. So what do you want to be? What are you going to do? It's all a trade-off about what's going to rule over you. So just to say a couple of different things, if you're here today and you're not in Christ, if you're not trusting Him, if you're not walking with Him as Savior, what is ruling over you? And would you like to have the freedom that comes from faith in Christ and turning away from running your own life or having some other thing rule over you? That freedom... That joy is available through the king that we're celebrating today. And again, that's the only kind, benevolent, joyful rule that you're going to find in this life. But if you are a believer and if you, you know that you belong to Jesus, let's all fess up that we, we fight these appetites and aspirations. You know, the chocolate cluster thing is a real illustration, you know, <laughs> it's is not just something I made up out of the blue. And, and what I would grieve about is that, that do you have a place? Has your small group or, or, or your group become a place where you can say, honestly, this is what I struggle with. This is, this is what I fight with that's, that, that wants to rule over me. This is where I'm subject to letting something rule over me. Fear, demand for safety, demand for affluence, appetites, all those things. Well, Jesus, Jesus is alive to make us a fellowship where that can be the norm. And you can lead the way in that kind of vulnerability as well. So one other thing that I'll say about this, some of our, our young people and children, and I was talking with Francis McFarland about this, uh, you know, you've, you've read, led a pretty tight life. You haven't, like, wandered off the farm and been a prodigal or anything yet so far. And you think, well, what about this great, great sin, and, and, and how do I get to the fear of the Lord? Well, all you have to do if you want to cultivate this is think about sins of omission. To take seriously, have you really loved God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, and have you really loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you... Let's start with those of you who have siblings. <laughs> have you loved your siblings as yourself? Honored your father and mother from the, from the heart? All those kinds of questions. All of us are in the same boat on these things, whether it's outward volitional things you can see or inward things. So that's, that's, that's the first step towards having... The, the fear of the Lord that, that belongs appropriate for the, the loved sons and daughters of God. But we want to move on from that and to say that there's a great love that drives out the, the wrong kind of fear. There's a great love that keeps us from having the fear that the Lord doesn't want us to have. There is a fear that the Lord doesn't want us to have. 
And you see that in this text is that after it thundered and rained, uh, at the end of verse 18, it says, All the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And then they say, Samuel, we can't go to the Lord because he's going to kill us. We're going to die. You, you pray to the Lord, your God, for us. They're disassociating themselves from the Lord in verse 19. And then what does Samuel come and, he, and say? He says, don't be afraid. That's verse 20. And you want to hear the prophet Samuel saying to you and to me, those who are, 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 are often bound up at times by things that rule over us, don't be afraid, don't run away from the Lord, run to the Lord. And you hear this very clearly seen in this text. Well, what is the ground, what is the basis upon which you can have a confidence to, to run to the Lord even in the midst of something ruling over you. Look at verse 22. This is a, a verse that probably should go on our refrigerators, right? For the Lord will not forsake his people. These are the same people who had great wickedness. They just confessed that. But the Lord will not forsake his people. Why in part? For his great namesake. Why does he love rebels and sinners? For his own glory. And is it begrudgingly that he does it? No, it says, for it pleased the Lord. He's very pleased for his own glory and out of love for you to be gracious to you and to make you a people for himself. Good news. Good news. And isn't it true that our propensity ever since Adam and Eve rebelled and then hid themselves and covered themselves with fig leaves to not run to the Lord in our sin and shame, but to run away from him and hide? And this text is a call exactly in the opposite direction. There's a psychiatrist named Kurt Thompson who has written a book about shame and mercy, and, and he told the story of a lady that he called Gloria, and she came to his office, and what he found was that she had had a very loving and kind husband for 30 years, and in the 30 years of their marriage, she hadn't told either her husband or anyone else about the abortion that she had when she was a teen. And she wouldn't have brought this to light to Dr. Thompson if it hadn't been that she was having really a, a mental meltdown, a psychiatric implosion that really compelled her and forced her to deal with, these are the secrets that I carry. These are the things that I've been carrying with me that there's not been any openness or vulnerability about. And this is typical for all of us. That, that we see... We see our great sins, and we want to run and hide, and hide them from other people, even from ourselves and from the Lord. And what you have here is Samuel, essentially, I would say, shouting to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord is pleased to love you. And then when we look at this text, what you find, the reason I pointed out to you in the beginning that in this long speech, Saul the king is standing there, 
Samuel the prophet is speaking the words of God, the words here of mercy. Don't be afraid. Don't have a a fear of being put to death and judged. But he also acts as a priest when he says, far be it for me that I should not pray for you and intercede for you with the Lord and to teach you his ways. That's a priestly function. And so you see, those of you who've been here week by week, see exactly where this is going. There's, there has come, what we're celebrating today, today is the arrival of a king greater than Saul, better than Saul, a faithful king, a prophet who speaks the word of God, not just generally on paper, but by the Holy Spirit through the word into your lives and speaks to you peace and comfort and life. But then most importantly, the final great high priest who would offer himself as a final atoning sacrifice for sin and then be exalted to the right hand of the Father to act as a merciful and faithful high priest forever in things pertaining to God on behalf of his people. What more, what more could God do to bring you and me out of hiding, out of shame, out of running, into a place where we freely and openly confess sin, wickedness, shame, and say, Jesus, take me. Be my king. Be my prophet. Be my priest. And this is what he gives you. This is what he gives to the one who receives. He gives full, permanent forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. Full crediting to your account of absolute obedience to all the law of God. Your judicial case is fully and finally settled for life. And it's not just a judicial matter. He takes you out of hiding and brings you into his family and says, You are my son. You are my daughter. And not only are you my son and daughter, you have an inheritance forever. But I'm going to come to you and speak into your heart the love of God, the love of the sons and daughters of God. That God pours into our hearts his love by the spirit whom he's given to us. And what does that spirit do? That spirit cries out, Father, you're my father. You're the one who loves me. And so then we are able to to banish the wrong kind of fear the fear of wrath and judgment. And this is what 1 John says. He says, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Now, I want to make a caveat about this. This is for people who have true saving faith in Christ, who are walking with Christ in faith and repentance, who are fighting sin and, and struggling and turning away from it. But if you're here today and don't know Christ, there's no peace for you. And you don't get that by osmosis. You don't just get it by hanging around. It doesn't just creep up on you from the outside. You have to say, Jesus, I entrust myself to you. Be my prophet. Be my priest. Be my king. Save me. And I just want to say, pastorally, I've run across any number of people uh, recently who feel like they've committed unpardonable sins or things that would would put you outside of the pale of God's mercy, that is a lie from hell. 
That is a lie from hell, okay? Can I be any more clear about that? Merry Christmas. Don't offend the Lord again by being so proud as to say the work of Christ would be insufficient for you. Receive. You see? And see, then, has this done this for you yet so far in this time that we're having together? Does it drive out fear of judgment? Do you, do you feel yourself coming off the treadmill and do more, run faster? Manage your sin better? There really is grace and mercy in and through Christ. Full forgiveness. So then what happens then is that leads you, that leads the believer on to the godly fear or the right fear of the sons and daughters of God. And we want to affirm that very clearly for everybody who's, who's uneasy about antinomianism and all this stuff. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. That, that the grace of God leads us to true fear of sons and daughters of God. And you see that actually all through this text in verse 14. It says, if you'll fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord. You see that fear defined. And you see uh, in verse uh, the end of 20 and 21, he says, serve the Lord with all your heart and don't turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver for they are empty. Don't turn aside to your own devices. Don't go back to hiding and shame. Fear the Lord. Serve him. And then in verse 24, it says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Do you notice the text keeps coming back to this fear of the Lord is something that comes out of your heart and goes on out into your outward behavior. It's a posture of heart and mind and not simply a matter of externals. Well, what, what is then, how do we uh, access or how do we come to this fear of the Lord that, that is the fear not of slavery or punishment, but the, the right fear of the sons and daughters of God? Well, this is very easy, and I want to send you, if you have your pencil out, later on that you go back and read Isaiah 11 carefully, which was one of our uh, Advent readings from a few weeks ago. It says about Jesus 700 years before he was born that the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him and that that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would be a Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And get this verse 3, uh, Isaiah eleven three, 3, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Do you see this? Jesus delights in having the Father rule over him from the heart. So for everybody, uh, somebody said before we came out here, like, you know, half the people aren't showing up because they looked in the, on the uh, website and saw that the title for the sermon was Christmas Fear. And they said, well, you know, I'll skip that. Well, if you skip that, you wouldn't get to see that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. And he had this filial son-father love with the Father that was from all eternity. 
And the Spirit was giving him that and working that in him. And now we have miracle of miracles that Christ crucified, raised and exalted, has received from the Father what he's poured out on the church, which is whom? The Spirit. So if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ, you have the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, the godly son-daughter fear that makes you say from the heart, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow you, Father, with all my heart. I give you this life, lock, stock, and barrel. Now, we all know if, you, if you're in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you can say that. And by the time you get home, you can be entangled with something else ruling over you, right? So what is this a matter of? How do you walk in it? What does it look like? Well, it looks like what we say all the time here, and we're going to come back to over and over again. It looks like faith and repentance. Oh, there's that thing. There, there's that peanut cluster. It's coming to rule over me. Ah. Uh, Lord, I would like to have self-control. And you know, if I let it go, I can say, you know, I, I, I got the whole stock in there. I can do the whole thing. Is your God your stomach and your glory your shame? I'm quoting from Philippians from Paul, right? Is your God going to be your stomach? Well, you know, last week I, fell, I fought, I, I messed up. So what do you do? You say, Jesus, will you be working in my heart the fear of the Lord so that my appetites won't rule over me? But I believe in the midst of my failure, that I'm a justified son of God. And you can believe the same thing. That, that the Father purposed and was pleased for his own glory to have mercy on me. And that, that I can grow in the fear of the Lord because of the gift of the Spirit. So it's all of grace. And so you, you see this. Um, we love to sing sometimes I think it's worn out for a lot of us at funerals but we love to sing Amazing Grace by John Newton John Newton was the the pastor of the Great Awakening in the 1740s and everybody kind of knows he was a slave trader but I really want to uh, encourage those of you who are above the age of whatever to get his biography and really read it through what John Newton was really like in those early years is things in a worship service with four-year-olds and above that you don't talk about. God saved him through Christ. And he was the one who wrote, have you thought about this when you sing Amazing Grace? Was grace that taught my heart to fear? You see, it was, it was this grace of Christ that teaches me by the Holy Spirit what the right fear of the Lord is. And grace, my fears relieved to enable me to put aside the fear, the slavish fear of God that, that somehow his wrath is going to break out against me. And that was John Newton. So brothers and sisters, this is what we're after today. Will you receive the gift of godly fear today? It means not minimizing your sin. It means wholly receiving and resting on Christ alone as he's offered to you in the gospel as a full payment for sins as your elder brother who brings you the spirit of God and adoption into the family of God and then moment by moment you're relying on the risen Christ to give you the godly spirit of the fear of the Lord to give yourself to him wholly fully in body and soul 
now, and forever. Will you receive that gift? Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for this time to look at your word, and we, we pray, Father, that you would um, save those who are lost, give them uh, faith and repentance for the first time, and for those of us who have become old souls, who, have, who get worn down by sin and temptation and accusation, we renew our joy today. And Holy Spirit, will you give us the fear of the sons and daughters of God? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.